from chasing toddlers around. Maybe you're just tired um, from your work life. Uh, maybe, maybe you've had a good week. Maybe it's been a good week to celebrate. No matter how you come in, whether you, we come in uh, feeling good about ourselves or where we come in where, we're, where we've had a difficult week, I just want to remind you that God meets you right where you are. He meets you exactly where you are, and he meets you with his love. And that's really what this sermon series that we've been doing um, called Life of the Beloved. Uh, it's a book from Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, um, and one of my favorite books, uh, Life of the Beloved. And that's really, if you could boil it down to one message, what the theme of the book is, is that you are the beloved. We are the beloved. What does that mean? That means that simply this, that we are loved by God. That's the most foundational truth about you. Nothing else. The very core of whether you want to receive it or not, the very core of who you are is that you were made in God's image and that you were made in love. And it's such a simple truth, and it's so hard to believe sometimes <laughs> to actually receive it and catch it and take hold of it and believe it. It's really hard, is it not? And this is really the message of the Scriptures. Is If we could boil it down into one theme, what is the message? It's that God loves you in Christ. Period. Exclamation point. Right? God loves you. You are loved in Christ. And that's really the, the, what this um, sermon series, I kind of want to just keep reiterating that in this sermon series, that you're loved in Christ. Um, and so I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us now, and then we're going to um, read the scriptures in a, in a little bit. So let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we ask that you just be with us now. We ask that you would open our hearts to hear you. Spirit, you are at work. You are at work in our lives. You are at work seeking to show us how much we are loved. <laughs> you, are, you are so adamant that we would know and receive and revel in your love. Thank you for your word that shows us that we are loved. You proclaim it. I pray that we would be able to hear it. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And give us hearts that receive your word with faith and with joy. We pray that your word would be the power of salvation for all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, part of my calling in life, obviously, is I'm a minister. I've been a minister. That's part of, part of my calling. Um, throughout my life, I've done different things in my calling. I hope you kind of have thought about your own calling in your life, what God has called you to be and to do. Uh, God has also called me to be a, a school teacher at different times in my life. He's called me to be a coach at different times in my life. But one of the things that kind of gets um, overlooked about my calling is that I have been called to be a nurse's husband as my wife walks out the door. Um, <laughs> I have been called to be a nurse's husband. We didn't really have that conversation before we got married, 
at how much that would really influence uh, our marriage. Because a lot of times my wife would come home over our 21 years of marriage, would come home from work, and we would talk about all sorts of situations that she had in, at work that day. Um, whether she was working in the, um, you know, whatever unit she was working in, you know, the ICU unit or especially the radiology unit. And one, there was one in particular story that I wanted to, to share with you um, that kind of stuck out to me. There's lots of stories that stick out to me about hearing uh, her story about being a nurse, and now I'm a proud husband of a nurse practitioner. Um, woohoo! Um, but uh, she was working in the radiology department at uh, NYU uh, in, this, in New York City, which means that um, she helps patients who need MRIs. Um, and a wide range of patients come through who need MRIs, all sorts of ages. And on, on one occasion, um, you know, actually some of them are really well, some of them are really sick. Uh, some are adults, some are young children. Um, and on one occasion, um, my, I remember Maya telling me the story about when a two-month-old baby came who needed uh, uh, an MRI. It's the youngest um, baby my wife had ever seen uh, in her many years uh, of, of being in the radiology department. Um, and they had to put an IV in the baby, and the baby just was crying. Sometimes it's good for babies to cry, especially when they're born, <laughs> right? But this was an occasion where it was just so hard. To, she described about how all the medical professionals, it was so hard to hear the baby crying. They, nobody, nothing could console the baby. It was just so hard to hear the baby crying. And I've been thinking about this. I think about this in regards to um, just how the Bible talks about our world and the pain that it deals with. So often it talks about how we are crying out in pain, right? Do, through different parts of Scripture, the world is crying out in pain. Paul talks about that, right? The world is crying out in pain. I mean, we even think about just even recent events from this past week. South Korea. What happened in South Korea? The Halloween tragedy. All these people gathering. The world is crying out in pain. Or the landslides in the Philippines. You know, these tragedies. The conflict in Ukraine. I mean, we, it, the world is crying out in pain. That's how the Bible depicts suffering in the world. Um, this image has actually always made sense to me. This idea that the world is crying out in pain. Um, and so often, I think I can, especially being attuned to maybe weeks like this where there's a lot of tragedies around the world or personal tragedies that happen, where we actually can hear the cry. Where you hear the cry. Do you hear the cry? Do you hear, do you walk around in the streets and you see people, the homeless? Do you hear, do you see in pain? And really what I want to talk about is what our solution is to that. And part of what it means to be the beloved, to be loved by God, as we've talked about a couple weeks ago, is that we understand that we're blessed, right? We're blessed by God. But the other part of that is that what does it mean, what is our role in how we are to express that love to the world? Um, and our immediate response is to we want to seek a solution. We want to bring consolation. We want to bring peace. We want to bring order. We want to bring justice. That's even how we think about even with this week with voting, right? We want to think about how can we bring a solution, right, to the, the hurts of the world. 
So having said that, I want to read John chapter 12, uh, verses 20 through 26. John chapter 12. And just a little background here. Jesus has just entered Jerusalem. He's been attracting a, quite a following because of his ministry. But here's the thing. A lot of his followers think that the time has come for him to have a coronation. They think he's going to Jerusalem to be coronated as the Messiah, as the king. They think, hey, it's time for him to come and bring order, to bring justice, to bring peace, but to do it in a way where he's going to come and be like a Messiah king, to be coronated. The king who would rule Jerusalem and bring order back into the world because the world, just like now, was crying out then in pain. It was crying, in, crying out in pain. And many people thought that Jesus would bring that consolation. So he's in Jerusalem. People thought the time would, uh, had come for him to bring peace. Even the Pharisees said that the world had gone after him. So let's hear what Jesus has to say in jo uh, John chapter 12, verses 20 through 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and, um, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses, sorry, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Bible says things that make sense to most people, right? And the Bible also says things that does not make sense to hardly anybody. <laughs> it, make, it says things that make sense to a lot of people, and it also says a lot of things that does, doesn't, doesn't make sense to hardly anybody. Jesus' words do not make sense to the people following him. If you look at the next few verses in verse 33 and 34, if you just kind of track with me for a second here, verse 33 and 34, he says this, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become the sons of light. So Jesus was talking to them about his death. And again, they did not want to hear this, because he's using language like Jesus is going to be talking about being glorified. He was talking to them about his death. He's going to be glorified, but not in the way that the people think he's going to be glorified. And the crowd cannot comprehend what he means, because the Son of Man was supposed to remain in Jerusalem and rule forever. But Jesus explains that he's coming to Jerusalem to die. And his words do not make sense, and the people do not believe him. The Bible says things that don't make sense to us sometimes, and therefore it's hard to believe. We'd rather just stick with the things that make sense in the Bible. 
And most people that I've talked with throughout my life, especially as a minister, whether they be Christian or not Christian, um, there's one thing that I would, kind of a recurring theme of, this is what makes sense. Can you guess what that is? The golden rule. That makes sense. That's the solution to all the problems in the world. If we could just treat each other, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. Of course, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. That people, hands down, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, would agree with that. Especially when we hear about all the conflict and the pain in the world. One general solution that we think will bring consolation, it'll bring peace, it'll bring order, um, is the golden rule. The world would just be a better place, right? If we just treated each other with love. If we just did to one another as we would have done to us. This is how we kind of think, this, what we, we, this is what we believe the solution is. This is what we think about how we give ourselves to one another, right? If you think about how you, you can give yourself to those around you, we often operate most by the golden rule. And don't hear what I'm not saying. It's in the Bible. It's good. <laughs> it's there for a purpose. The golden rule is a good rule, and the world wants to operate by it, but yet we still have trouble doing it. Why? That's actually what I want to explore with you for a minute. Because the solution that most of, even the church, I would say, I would argue, and the world comes up with is just is the golden rule. Let's just get better at doing the golden rule. If we could just get better at it, then the problem, our problems will go away. But the problem is that that's only one part of a larger puzzle, one piece, one part of the larger puzzle. You know what it's like when you put a puzzle together? I don't know. I guess, where did the kids go? Are there kids in here? Where did they go? Adults? Do you ever do puzzles? Right? You with your kids? That's, um, when you do a puzzle of like, maybe, maybe like, you know, let's, let's imagine it's a like, at least a 200-piece puzzle, right? A, a, really, a real challenge where you have to like, put, get the pieces out. And what do you do? I mean, you have to put the puzzle together like one little section at a time, Right? You have to put the, and then sometimes like, especially when, when you're doing your puzzles with kids, it's like, oh, they start to begin to see as that one piece comes together, and then they begin to see how it, it works together as a whole. Well, the golden rule, oftentimes, we, it is part of the puzzle. It's part of the puzzle, but so often we're just focused on, we think we have the whole puzzle together with the golden rule, and we just think we've completed the puzzle. But friends, that's not what the Bible tells us. If you don't have the, all the pieces together, you're missing the whole picture. And so, yes, the golden rule is part of the puzzle, but we have to have the whole puzzle together. And so I want to talk about, um, about that for a minute. Um, the golden rule is an essential part of the puzzle. Um, it is an essential part of the puzzle, but if we see the world through just that one part— if we think that the one part of the picture of peace and justice for the world, if that's what we think is the complete completion of it, it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't make sense for a couple reasons. The golden rule actually doesn't solve the problem of the world's pain for a couple reasons, and I want to talk about that for a second. First, the question is, are you really good enough? Are you, in and of yourself, really good enough to live by this rule? In and of yourself. Keywords, <laughs> like you by yourself. Sometimes we think so. Again, if you've had a good week, maybe you're kind of 
on cloud nine this week and you think, hey, I've had a good week. I've done well. I can, I can do this. I want to, I mean, I want to believe that I'm a good person. But if I were to challenge you to take the next week and treat other people as you would be treated, what do you think would happen? What do you think would happen? Let me tell you what would happen to me. Here's what usually happens to me, and let's see if you can relate to me. You know, like when, my, uh, when Maya asked me to help her around the house, there's times when I'm thinking, absolutely. Hey, will you do the dishes? Of course. I'll do the dishes. I'm in a good mood. I've had a good day at work. All good. You, will you make dinner? Monday and Tuesday this week. I've got to make dinner. I've got to figure that out. My wife asked me that. Would you do that? Of course. No problem. Monday, Tuesday come, I kind of have a bad day. Somebody kind of cuts me off and on I-85. Start, things start to kind of like build up. And anger gets misplaced. And then Maya texts me, hey, have you done dinner? Why would you ask me to do dinner? Well, that's crazy. I, it all depends on how I'm doing, right? It all depends on what's going on with me that week. I'll give myself to other people up to a certain point, so as long as it's convenient for me under my terms and my conditions. And what I mean by that is, it's like, it's my life, right? It's my life to, to choose to give when I want to. But up to a certain point, when things get difficult, then I kind of, I, I, I don't want to give anymore. I've got to live my life. And am I really good enough? No. <laughs> because what drives me beneath it all is that simple belief that it's my life. I love my life. I love the idea of what my life should look like. I've got to do what's best for me. This is my life and I need to hold on to it. And so that's where it begins to fall apart. Where the whole golden rule begins to fall apart because it can only go up to a certain extent. Right? It can only go to a certain point to where you just don't have the energy to give anymore. Or something happens to you, conflict occurs, and you hold bitterness or pain or, or, or resentment in your heart. So we're, we're really not good enough because we might be, good, do, be able to do good for a while, but that's not going to be the solution. And the second question is this, are we really good enough for each other? Like, is the good that you can bring to another person enough for them? Right? Not just are you good enough in and of yourself, but the good that you can bring to somebody else, is it good enough for them? Because that's what is assumed when we say the golden rule is the solution, right? We assume that the good, the strategies that we can bring can really meet the world's deepest needs, right? Can you put up the quote from Henry Nouwen? This is a quote from Henry Nouwen from his book, The Life of the Beloved. He says, if you really want to live in this world, you cannot look to the world itself as the source of that life. The world and its strategies may help you survive for a long time, but they cannot help you live because the world is not the source, even of its own life, let alone yours. So that's, at some point, the golden rule by itself looks good to a certain point until it doesn't, <laughs> until it runs out of, until it runs out of, it needs to be connected to the source. Even when we give each other our best, our love for one another is not enough, because beneath it all, we need a greater good than this world can produce. 
We need the source. And that gets back to the puzzle, the puzzle, right? We need, some, we need the other part of the puzzle to get the full picture of how we can actually be able to express the love of God to the world. And that's what, so our solution mo- most often is the golden rule. But God's solution is not the golden rule alone. It's the gift of Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about uh, for the, the last part of the sermon. The gift of Jesus. And we, so we have the one part of the puzzle, the golden rule. But even though it seems like it makes sense to the, that this would be a picture of peace and justice for the world, it doesn't make sense because it needs to fit together with a larger puzzle, the larger puzzle of Scripture. And that's the John 3.16 piece. <laughs> you have the golden rule piece of the puzzle part, but then you also have the John 3.16. You've got to put that piece of the puzzle together and bring that all together for the complete picture of what the Scriptures really give to us. That's, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let me ask you this question about Jesus, the gift of Jesus. Just think about this for a second. Was Jesus just a really, really good person who experienced a bad death? A lot of people believe that. He was a really, really good person who did good things. He just had a bad death. He just had a bad experience. I mean, nobody really denies that, that Jesus was good and that he had a bad death. But what was good about Jesus? What was good about Jesus? And and stick with me here because I think we actually, if we're going to get to the source of what it means to actually not only experience love, but actually be able to express it, this is where we have to go. We have to put this part of the puzzle together, the John 3.16, and put it together with the golden rule. So this is what's so hard. Friends, this is what is so hard. I I see so many Christians with the puzzles pieces spread out in their lives. They don't know, we don't know how to put it together. And so my hope is that even with this sermon, with this sermon series, is that if we can put it together and be able to connect, to be so inspired by the John 3.16 piece, right, so that you are inspired to live out the golden rule. Because you can't live out the golden rule in and of yourself. You have to be connected to the John 3.16 piece. And so it's really important to understand what it is about Jesus. Because we've got to be connected to his goodness, right, to who he is. So let's ask, I'm going to keep tracking with me here for a second. What was good about Jesus? Why did he die the way he did? Let's look back at John 12 and remember verse 33. It says, The light is among you for a little while longer. While you walk with the light, walk walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Jesus tells the crowd that he is going to die. Keep tracking with me here for a second. This did not make sense, but it shouldn't have been a surprise. It was in line with what Jesus had been saying all along, that his life would be an offering for the world, that his death was going to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world. In other words, what was good about Jesus was that he didn't claim that his life was his own. (laughs) The one person. See, that's what's true about all of us. That's what the nature of sin is, is that you and I, we can't fix the world's problems by simply saying, oh, let's just go out on our own strategies and let's just go do it because the nature of sin is is that you think your life is your own. 
until we get to the point where we actually engage with the one person who came in this world and flipped the script, who actually, that's what John 12, verses 20 through 26 is talking about. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, Jesus is talking about himself, right? That one person who comes into the world, that is what was so good about Jesus. Did you know that? About his life. Because all of the rest of us, our nature is to hold on and live life for yourself. That's why the, those pieces of the puzzle have to go together. He didn't claim that his life was his own, even though he had every right to. It brings us back to this John 3.16 piece. And this is what I want you to hear, that Jesus was a gift. Jesus was a gift. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Do you hear that word? Jesus was a gift. There's nothing that you can do to earn his love. He gave. Jesus is a gift. That's what Philippians 2, we, we looked at this uh, several weeks ago. He says that he, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, the likeness of man, being found in human form, humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And that's what will bring peace and consolation, the goodness, the gift of Jesus. Right? That's what's going to bring the goodness. The world will come, become, um, will experience flourishing through his life and death. And when we put those parts of the puzzle together, when we connect to John 3.16, part of the puzzle, along with the golden rule, then it becomes a picture of peace and justice and it begins to, to start to make sense. Now, I want to dig in with these verses real, real quick, 24 and 25. You can turn back there with me. Now, let's look, consider these. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Hate my, this, is, this is where it's like, this is one of those you can file it under, this doesn't make sense. There's so many parts of the Bible that you're like, why would Jesus say hate your life? Right? You can kind of file that under kind of the same words of like, um, hate your mother and father. Right? Why would Jesus tell me to hate my life? That doesn't make any sense. What does that mean <laughs> that I need to hate my life? Well, here's what I think it means, is we have to kind of, again, zoom out and look at the bigger picture of what that actually means. We don't have to zoom out too much because we have the next verse here, verse 26. Let's look at that. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus calls us to follow him. To not claim our life as our own. <laughs> right? To not claim your life as your own. Because that's the nature of sin, right? Just to hold on to our life. That's why the golden rule is so hard. Because we just want to hold on to our life at some point on our own. But he's calling you to not hold on to your own life, but to give it up. To see your whole existence. To see your whole existence, your whole purpose in life. Your whole mission is to give yourself to the world. Friends, I, this is what I really want you to hear this morning. 
you are a gift. <laughs> you are a gift. Do you believe that? Jesus himself, God gave Jesus to you so that when you receive his love, again, put the big picture together, the big puzzle together. When you are connected and united to Jesus and his love, you are a gift. Actually, Jesus made you as a gift just by simply creating you. Do you believe that? Your whole existence is a gift. So often we think, well, I don't have the right skills. I don't know. I, don't, I gotta get myself together before I can really give myself to somebody. No. Simply the fact that Jesus loves you and you receive that love, you are a gift. And what that, re, what that also means is that the people around you are a gift to you. <laughs> Do you believe that? Doesn't that maybe change the paradigm? Somebody doesn't have to clean themselves up and make themselves better so that they're good enough for you. You are a gift. The people around you are a gift. What if we lived our lives that way? We actually believed that. That just simply your existence I do believe that when we can kind of put those pieces of the puzzle together, we actually believe that we are a gift. That God has made you. He's fed you with himself. So that your whole life could be given for the world. It's not just that God wants to, you know, sometimes I have a hard time with this. I think just growing up in church culture, sometimes I'm, I get tired of hearing, God wants to use you. You know, like you're sort of, sort, sort, like some sort of like, you know, utilitarian view, like, you know, I mean, I, he does, you know, but at the same time, it's like, no, this, it's not just he wants to use you like a tool. No, he's made you in his image as a human being, and you are a gift, because that's how God operates. <laughs> he created the world because out of love, so that you can give your life as a sacrifice for others, because Jesus has sacrificed for you. But you're only a life-giving gift when you're connected to Jesus. And, and this is, you know, this, if we think about this, a lot of people, what's so unique about Christianity is, a lot of, if you look at other religions, a lot of people give themselves up for the sake of their religion, right? You know, Muslim, in the, in the Muslim world, they will sacrifice themselves for Allah, Allah. Jewish children give up their childhood to memorize the Torah. But the sacrifice of Jesus is distinct from any other sacrifice because we get back to why he comes, in, comes into Jerusalem. He claimed to be the actual Messiah who brought peace and justice into this world. He claimed to be equal with God, and he was made man so that he could take on the pain of the world in his body, and he was raised to new life to show that he defeated the worst pain possible, which is death. So because of who Jesus is, that's the solution is God's gift in Jesus. And once we are united and connected to him as the true king and to his kingdom, then that begins to kind of change our paradigm. Once we connect the pieces of the puzzle, the John 3.16 and the golden rule, it all begins to come together. And so, friends, what I'm trying to encourage us is to stay connected to Jesus himself. When we are connected to Jesus the gift that God gave to the world, his sacrificial life is actually being lived out in us. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? That that's a crazy thought, right? That his sacrificial life, what he's talking about in John 12, what happened in Jerusalem was not just a single event, but actually it's being lived out in the church and the people of God. That's why we are here. That's why we exist as a church. Because we want the Jesus and his mission to be lived out in us. And that, begin, that, that begins when you actually believe yourself that you are loved and that this world is loved and that Jesus was a gift and that you're a gift. I mean, we could talk about all the technical stuff of giving your life away, you know, your talents, your time, your treasures, which is all important. But in order for us to grow in the ways we sacrifice ourselves, we must first see our whole existence in this world as a gift. That you exist. The reason God created you is that you exist for the sake of others. Do you believe that? <laughs> when you wake up in the morning and you, the pieces of the puzzle are together, the John 3.16 piece and the Golden Rule piece, when those are f- operating together, that your whole existence, that you exist today for the sake of others, That's why God created you. You are a life-giving gift when you're connected to Jesus. So I want to conclude with this, um, go back to the story uh, with, in the hospital with the crying baby. Um, They couldn't get the baby to stop crying. They tried all sorts of things. All the strategies the medical professionals could possibly try to do did not work. baby just kept crying, crying and crying. And then there was another patient who was finishing up his procedure, and the patient was still kind of in some pain and a little groggy from the medicine. He asked if he could come in the room uh, with a child. So they, they said, yeah, that's fine. And he pulled out his violin, and he just started playing. He just started playing a violin, and slowly the child, the baby, just got quiet by simply the music quieting the child after he just played some gentle music for the baby. As he, kept, as he kept playing, the baby finally started to calm down and finally was able to get the IV in. And friends, I would say that because the world is crying out in pain and we can have so many strategies <laughs> to try to solve it, especially the golden rule. Friends, the, 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 the truth is that we need the, the music of the gospel. <laughs> we need the music of the love of Christ to actually bring a solution, to actually quiet us with his love. His love flows through us. Do you believe that? That his love flows through you? That you can be that music to the world? But it starts with you being connected to Jesus. Friends, I pray that we would put those pieces of the puzzles together. John 3.16 and the golden rule, that we would, would actually believe that we are a gift that's been given by God to the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this, uh, for your, your word. Jesus, thank you that you are a gift. Thank you that um, you love us so much that you don't give up on us. You don't give up on your world. Thank you for your humility coming to die for us to be raised to new life so that we would ultimately be the solution to the world's suffering and pain. Father, thank you so much that uh, you have called us 
to be your life-giving presence in this world. I pray that uh, we would believe that and be that. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come now to a time in our service where we continue to worship now through